Welcome to the City Baptist Church Podcast, where we are passionate about sharing the life-changing message of Jesus with Vancouver and beyond. Today's special message is from our Vision Sunday, where we see a powerful truth for the year ahead. God promises His strength and will use those who have total dependence on Him. Amen. Well, welcome today to City Baptist. And I'm glad you're here. Welcome to Vision Sunday. And I know, man, we've got a lot of people sick today. And some of you are still sick. Because you told me, you're like, I don't want to shake your hand. You know, there's a lot of elbow bumps. So that's the official handshake today is just the elbow bump. And just watch out for people's eyes, okay? And uh, I, was, I thought that was funny. But anyway, it's okay. <laughs> Good. Some of you are like, I can't hear anything. My ears are plugged, right? Good. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning. And uh, would you turn to me to 1 Kings chapter number 17? Uh, 1 Kings chapter number 17 is where we'll be today, and I want to preach just a really, really a simple message to you this morning, and uh, something that I believe is critical for us as a church family, if we are going to be a church that is used of God and used by God in the year of 2019. I'm really thankful, like I mentioned earlier, for, for this past year that we had. I'm thankful for the ups, and yes, I'm even thankful for the downs, if you can believe it. Uh, sometimes we look at past years and we say, man, if I could erase, you know, six months of this year, it'd be a lot better. But you know what? We've got to be thankful for those downtimes too, because that proves to us that our God is there for us. He's there for us in those challenging, those challenging uh, times. But certainly as I reflect on the year uh, past, I cannot help but see God work in his usual mysterious ways. You notice that this past year? There's some things that God did that are just mysterious to me, and that just uh, is right along with his character. We don't totally understand him, uh, but he's definitely worked in these ways. And so as we look to the year ahead, though, with all of the uh, unknown things that it carries, all of the hopes and dreams that maybe you have here today for the year of 2019, I believe it's imperative for us as Christians to set aside some time at the beginning of the year to be reminded of the fact that our world and our community, though we may have plans for this year, there are people in our community who desperately need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so besides all of the plans that we have and all of the things that we look to and all of the things that we are focused on and hoping to happen, the fact still remains for us as a church that our purpose is to lead people to Christ. Our purpose is to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's so important for us at the beginning of the year to just simply be reminded of that fact, that people need the Lord. And our community here in East Van, I think you guys would agree with me, is not moving closer to God year by year, you know? We haven't been able to track it. So since the church started in 2014, wow, our community is just so much closer to the Lord. I'd say it's the opposite, in fact. And, And that can be discouraging, but what it does for us is it reminds us of the fact that God has called us as a church to be a light. God has called us as a church to uh, shine in a dark place, and he's led us to this place. He's led us to this building. He's led us to this community for a reason and for a purpose that he would be glorified through our lives, that we would point other people to Jesus Christ, and that we would be his vessels ready to be used by God, ready to be used by God. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about this idea of being used by God. And really, it's more of a a lengthy title, but really the big idea of the message today is simply being prepared for God to use us. Because I I don't think if I said today, how many of you want to be used by God? If you're a Christian here today, you'd all be like, yeah, that's me. I want to be used by God. I I mean, that's that's an understood thing, I think, in most most Christians. We want God to use us. But the question is, is, is can God use you? Are you actually able 
to be used by God because we're not always prepared to be used by God. And so what we're going to do today is go to 1 Kings chapter 17. It's going to be a familiar passage. And I want to share with you, though, a moment in the life of someone that God used in an incredible way. His name was Elijah. How many of you have heard of Elijah before? I mean, man, if you've read the Bible, you've heard of Elijah. He's in both the old. He's mentioned in the new. I mean, he's someone that people look to. God used him to do incredible, incredible things. But the thing I want to point out today is that before Elijah was able to do amazing things for God, there was a moment and really a lesson that God had to teach him before anything else really happened. And the lesson that we're going to see today is a lesson I think and I I pray can set the tone for the year ahead for all of us individually. I know personally this is something that the Lord has been working in my own heart. And I want to ask the question this morning, are we truly prepared for God to use us. So I'm going to give you a bit of a historical context to 1 Kings chapter 17 just to get us started. So we know uh, from scripture that Israel was founded by God, of course, through the, uh, from the calling of Abraham, the nation of Israel was called to be a monotheistic country, right? <laughs> Would you agree with me on that? Help me out here today. Let's get some nodding going. All right, good. Some nodding. Okay. And, uh, and they were to serve one God, right? There's one God. He is the one true God, and that's who they were to focus on. That's who they were to proclaim to other nations, and they were to serve him and, and all of that kind of stuff. But Israel uh, often, as we see in Scripture, lost its way for a while. And, and really the big time where they lost their way, I guess you could say the most, was when there was a civil war that split the nation into two parts. Now, the two parts that were split was into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And so the uh, northern kingdom was called Israel. It maintained the name Israel, but it was made up of the ten, uh, ten northernmost tribes. And then there was the southern kingdom, which was called Judah, and it was made up of two different tribes. And so for a while, the whole nation was split in these two different ways. So ten tribes in the north and then two tribes in the south. Now, the people in the south, there was less tribes, but they got Jerusalem. So it was actually a pretty big deal for them. They had Jerusalem, but one of the things that you notice as you read scripture is that Judah, for the most part, I would say, for the most part, Judah maintained a proper focus. They maintained worship of the Lord. In fact, uh, all of the, most of the priests, the Levites were down there uh, in Judah. And so they maintained a bit of a focus. They did waver here and there, but the Northern kingdom was a totally different story. Totally different story. In the Northern kingdom, they very quickly began to uh, elect terrible, terrible kings, (laughs) You know, sometimes today we say we have terrible people in politics. Listen, it is nothing like some of those kings. Over a period of 200 years or so, there was 19 different kings, and seemingly everyone was more wicked than the other one. It was like a contest, I think. You know, I'm going to be a little bit more evil than you. And it all culminated in one of the most wicked kings that we see, and it was a king by the name of Ahab. Now, Ahab, before we fault him, I think, too much, you got to understand, he was kind of near the end of a line of kings who were all terrible, and so that he didn't have a whole lot of chance. You know, you ever meet somebody who just has some, like, very poor character traits, but you know their family history, and you're like, ah, oh, he didn't really have a chance, you know? <laughs> don't have a way to learn, <laughs> you know? And, and that's how I see Ahab in, in some regard. Obviously, he had access to the truth, but, uh, and interestingly enough about Ahab, he named his children godly names, but we'll look at that maybe another time. But Ahab was just a terrible guy. I mean, very, very wicked. And it all culminated in the fact that he was also a very poor choice when it came to his wives, plural wives. But one in particular, of course, who is well known by the name of what? Jezebel. Jezebel. Hopefully none of you have named anyone Jezebel. I've heard heard of people naming pets Jezebel. Uh, You don't hear it very often, but Jezebel, of course, was a wicked, wicked woman. And, uh, and, and she really caused a lot of issues. Now, one of the big things about Jezebel, though, is that Jezebel was a pagan worshiper. And so she had many gods that she worshiped. 
In particular, uh, Baal, you would recognize that name. Ashtaroth was another god that she worshipped. And so um, when they got uh, married, she was from a, a nation called Zidon. Which they, when they got married, she was very religious, and so she brought her gods with her, Baal and Ashtaroth. And so they began to also set up temples for them all around the country. So all over the northern kingdom now, a country that's dedicated to the Lord, a promised land that was given to them, is now dotted all around by these pagan temples worshiping other gods. And the people, of course, were afraid of her, first of all. And as well, they were so far away from the truth themselves. I mean, centuries of time had passed. And so the children of Israel began to worship these gods. They worshiped these, uh, uh, these idols that promised prosperity and protection and all of these things. And as they got into the worship, though, of these gods, they found out pretty quickly that the worship of these false idols got really dark really fast. And we see Israel going through a time in their history where they were actually practicing child sacrifice and things like I mean, this is a dark, dark time, a very dark time in the nation of Israel. Jezebel, of course, once she was in power and began to make uh, steps forward to kind of pursue her agenda, of course, Ahab didn't really stand up to her very much. He just, you know, whatever you say, don't kill me, you know, in my sleep, he would just do whatever she said. And so she actually went out and, and killed most of the remaining Levites, the priests of God that were still uh, in the country. She tried to round up any prophets that she could. It's estimated about 850 of them she killed and then put her own pagan priests in charge of the religion of the country at that point. And for the first time, though, in Israel's history, it was a terrible place, and they also became a pluralistic when it comes to their gods type of a society, where everyone had their own god. Everybody had their own Baal. Now, when I was a kid, you know, uh, and maybe some of you still think this way, but when you hear the term Baal, you think of maybe a god, Baal. But Baal is more like a title rather than a name, and it, it references, and there's literally hundreds of Baals uh, in Scripture. There's all kinds, and especially in those days, there were a lot of different ones. There was the God of nature. Uh, there was the Baal of rain. There was the Baal of fertility. There was the Baal of medicine. There was the Baal of scholarship. There was the, the Baal of romance. There was the Baal of uh, success. There was the Baal of harvest. Hay Baal. Anyway, uh, uh, man. <laughs> uh, that wasn't actually his name, but there was a lot of Baals. They had di and they all had different descriptors and names, you know, of course, for where they were, what they were doing there. But it was into this society that God sent this man, now Elijah. So uh, a multi-God society, all remnants really, for the most part, of the one true God had been eliminated. Wickedness and power, pagan worship everywhere you go. And now we are introduced to Elijah, the prophet of God. It is this society that Elijah was sent to proclaim the one true God. Now, the exciting thing to me in all of this is the thing that it teaches us is that even if we live in a society where it seems like God is absent, God isn't absent. He is doing something. There is someone, there is something happening that God is trying to do. And just like he sent Elijah to proclaim the one true God, for us as a church at the beginning of this year, we got to remember God has sent us here to proclaim him as the one true God to our community, to proclaim him as the one true God to Vancouver, to tell others about what he is doing. And my prayer for us as a church as we get started is that God would raise up some of you to be like an Elijah in your circle of influence. Whether it's your family, whether it's your workplace, uh, whether it's just a friend, a group of friends that you have, that none of them worship God, none of them follow after Jesus Christ. My prayer is that some of you this year would become like an Elijah who would be the one who'd stand up and confront that society, confront that group, confront those people, not in an unkind way, but be a person who proclaims God as the one true God. That's my prayer for this year, for sure. And so we see Elijah here, 
sent into this society, but I want to look at how God prepared him for the task that was ahead of him. And I want to see how God uses the same principles to prepare us as Christians today as we face the overwhelming task of reaching this city for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's begin reading in verse number one. It says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab. Now, in this first sentence here, a lot of things have happened, okay? Uh, First of all, he somehow got in front of Ahab, the king. We don't know how it happened. We don't know. Uh, obviously, God somehow did it. Some people believe he actually appeared somehow before Ahab. We don't really know, but we find Elijah, the first time he's mentioned in Scripture, standing in front of Ahab. Now, that would be intimidating, don't you think? But look at the message that he brings to Ahab. As the Lord God of Israel liveth, to which Ahab said, which one? <laughs> you know, No, the one true one, the Lord God, Jehovah, before whom I stand. He says, I'm here on his behalf. There shall not be dew nor rain these years. He doesn't even give an ending to it at this point. There won't be any rain, but according to my word, meaning Elijah got there and he said, there's not going to be dew, there's not going to be rain, there's going to be a drought coming until I say it stops. Wow. (laughs) Now, like I said, this is the first time we're introduced here to Elijah. And the first thing that he does is he stands before him before Ahab, we, the only thing we know is that he was a Tishbite from Gilead, and uh, now all of a sudden he's doing the work of God in front of the king. Now, here's what it tells me. We don't have to know about his lineage. We don't have to know where he came from. It doesn't matter. By the way, it doesn't matter your lineage or where you came from. God can use you wherever you're at. That's a great lesson. It doesn't matter where you came from. And so we see this guy just from, okay, he's a Tishbite, all right? That's a hard word to say. Great. He's from Gilead. Great. Uh, but now here he is standing before the king doing the work of the Lord, speaking on the behalf of God. So he proclaims this drought, he gives him this prophecy, and then as quickly as he shows up, he leaves, which I think was wise, don't you? (laughs) Look at verse number two. And the word of the Lord came unto him saying, get thee hence, get out of here, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherish, that is before Jordan, and it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Interesting. Verse five. So he went. And did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the book Cherish, uh, Cherith, that is before uh, Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. I think that's the theme for the restaurant here in Vancouver, meat and bread. You see that there? They brought him bread and flesh. They brought him meat and bread uh, every single day. Maybe you should take that verse over there to that restaurant and see if they'll give you a free sandwich or something. This is such an interesting story, and I love, I love what God is doing here. See, in this moment in the life of Elijah here, we, uh, what we really can see here is an opportunity for us to have sort of a narrowed-in view of what God is doing in one of the lives of his prophets. We understand the big picture. If you look at Scripture and you continue through 1 Kings, you, and maybe some of you know the story, you kind of know how things progress from here. But it's so interesting to me how you see the big picture, but then God sort of narrows the focus for us in here just a few verses and gives us an important lesson that's happening in the life of Elijah. God is teaching him hear Elijah an important lesson about himself and it's an important lesson that I want us to get today and so I don't have a lot of points I really have one big thought that I want you to get but here's the lesson here's the lesson this morning so we're talking about being used by God so here's what it is if we are going to be used by God then I must have complete dependence upon him if we are going to be a people who are going to be used by God then we must have complete 
you can write and total and all-encompassing <laughs> and to the clouds confidence and dependence upon God. Now, Elijah is a man just like us, and we'll see here in a moment in James chapter 5, it actually references that. But he's a man like any other, a man who for most of his life was someone who took care of his own needs. And it is from this that God takes someone who had been providing for himself for so long, someone who had been living his life, who was given a command by God, who God protected him through that. But then we see God remove him from that place and put him in a situation in the desert, in a difficult place where he had to completely rely upon God and completely depend on God for the provision of everything, including his food. Okay, so something's happening here, and I, I, want, you to, I want you to see this, okay? God had him go to the brook Cherith, which interestingly means to cut off. And that was interesting. It means to cut off. And so what's happening here is that God is saying to Elijah, before I can continue to do anything with your life, before I can move forward with using you, what I'm going to do is I'm going to remove you from any sort of earthly strength that you might be able to depend on. And I'm going to take away everything from you. I'm going to put you in a place that has nothing so that the only thing that you can do now is completely rely upon me as God, even for your basic needs, even for your very basis of needs. And the truth this morning, church, is that before God can ever use us to make a difference, he must first break us of the things that we find strength in. Before God can ever use you to do something incredible with your life, he's going to have to maybe remove you from a place, remove some things from you, have you go through some trials so that you would completely rely on him. Look at it this way. And life is full of challenges, isn't it? <laughs> life is full of challenges. Man, you ever had somebody let you down? That's the worst. <laughs> you ever have somebody, uh, you know, uh, turn on you? <laughs> Maybe you've had someone or something that you depended on taken away from you. Have you ever gone through that? Uh, maybe it's a person. Maybe it was a talent, something you could do. And maybe it was a job. Maybe it was an ability. You ever been passed over, uh, maybe in your workplace for somebody else that you thought, hey, that's, this should be my promotion. This should be my uh, pay raise. And you were passed over. Maybe you failed at something that you were trying to do or there's so many hardships of life, and I think you can probably fill in right now in your mind uh, the trials, the things that you faced, maybe what you're facing right now. And while we don't understand what God is doing, and our tendency sometimes is to blame God, the fact is, is that God often allows challenges into our lives in order to break us of our self-confidence. He brings things into our lives and brings people into our lives, things and people that we find confidence in, and the reason these things come is so that we would get back to a place of total and complete reliance on him. A.W. Tozer is a man uh, from the past. He was very wise, uh, wise, wise man. <laughs> I know we just finished Christmas. But he said this. He said, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. It's a very strong statement, isn't it? It's a statement that I think when we read it, we kind of cringe at a little bit. But here, here's what he's saying, and this is what I think, this is where it ties into what we're talking about today. What he's saying is that God is at work in your disappointments and your pain. 
God is at work in those trials. And what he is doing through those challenges that come is that he is removing idols from your life. He's removing false, uh, false sources of trust. He's removing false joy and false hope. And he's trying to make our dependence on him completely as the focus. Now, we may look at this quote and some Christians, maybe you today are looking at this and you're like, all right, I'm out then. <laughs> I'm out. I, I don't want anything to do with this. But here, here's what I want you to get. I, I don't think that this means that we are to look for experiences of, or, uh, of suffering if we want to be used by God. This isn't us out there like, oh, man, I just hope that something terrible happens today. You know, I'm going to step into the road. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I don't know what, go into debt. I'm going to make poor decisions because then my suffering will be of God. That's not what it's talking about. It's not saying that we have to look for experiences because we live in a broken world and suffering will find you right? It'll find you. You don't have to go looking for it. But when it does come, when we have those challenges, we have those unexplained moments, we have a choice at that point. And, and the choice is this. Will we see this as God being unkind? Will we see it as God being uncaring toward us? Or will we see our suffering and the trials in it? Will we see the loving hand of God preparing us for usefulness in this world and purifying us for an eternity in his presence? That's really what it comes down to. The suffering, the challenges, the things that we face are, uh, is the loving hand of God preparing us for usefulness. And is it hard to understand? Yes. So difficult. I don't think Elijah thought that, uh, you know, this was a wonderful thing being moved out into the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I, I, think, I think Elijah th probably thought it was a little bit ridiculous, don't you? God, why am I here? Great, there's a babbling brook. This is lovely for a while until you get sick of it, right? Great, thank you, Lord. The ravens, the crows are bringing me food every day. Meat and bread. Like, where's this meat coming from, Lord? <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, uh, like, man, I can taste crow every time I eat it, you know. Uh, this bread, you know, they have a little oven somewhere. You know, they're cooking. Like, what's going on, Lord? <laughs> where's this stuff coming from? Uh, wh uh, why, why, you know, can you small se send me a bigger raven, Lord, next time? I'm a little more hungry today. You know, can you send it with a little bit more food? What, what's going on? Lord, I was okay back in Gilead. I was fine at home. Like, why, why am I here? Why am I here? You ever felt that way? God, why am I here? Why am I at this stage of my life going through this? I thought that I'd be past all of this by now. Lord, why am I still struggling with this sin? I thought I'd be past this by now. Lord, why am I still, uh, uh, why am I still having a hard time with uh, that hurt? Why am I still struggling? Why am I still suffering? Why did I get hurt in that way? Why didn't I get that promotion or whatever it may be? And we get upset and we get bitter. Yet to God, it's in those difficult moments, in those trying moments that he uses to draw us closer to him. Because it's in those moments of weakness that we are most usable to God. See, to God, dependence on him is the goal for his children. Complete dependence on him is the goal. And when it comes to that, then, when it comes to depending on God as the goal, what that tells us is that then our weakness is then our greatest strength. Now, you know I'm going to go to this verse because I love this verse and it helps us so much in this idea. But in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that's why he, uh, Paul here said, he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. He said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made, say those next three words with me, perfect in weakness. For my strength, this is God speaking, is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities at the power of Christ. Here's the key. I glory in my infirmities and my struggles and my trials. I glory in those things. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
It sounds completely crazy to us, but this is the key to being used by God right here. The fact that you would glory, that you would take notice more of your weaknesses so that God would get the glory. God would then be revealed through your life and his strength would then be lifted up through you and he'd be able to use you in a greater way. I wonder, do you boast in your weaknesses right now? This week I got a call from somebody uh, who was, uh, someone had put me down as a reference for a job. Isn't that great when someone calls? I never, I always get so nervous. I'm always like, you know, I don't want to say anything that would cause him not to get hired, you know. And uh, that's probably a problem actually. But, uh, you know, for the most part I'll say good things if I can, right. Uh, But I got a call and, and I'm talking and they're asking me all these different questions. And one of the questions they said, what are the applicant's uh, greatest strengths and what are their greatest weaknesses? I was thinking about this message. I was like, should I glory in their weakness for them, right? <laughs> and, uh, and of course, when that happens, what do you do? You promote their strength. Like, oh, they're dependable. They're, you know, whatever. And man, they're, they're so great. And I, you know, I trust them and they're trustworthy and all, the, you know, all these things. And then when weaknesses, you feel like you have to say something, right? Right? Like, well, their weakness is probably that they're just too humble, you know, or something like that. I don't know. That's their greatest weakness. No, don't say that. But, you know, you think of it and you're like, okay, I got to think of something. But in God's economy, it's the opposite. In, the, in God's economy, it's totally, it's totally the opposite way. For the Christian life, our weaknesses open the biggest door to God's power. Our weaknesses are the things that God then can use to give, us, to give him the most glory. And here's the other side of that. Our strengths are the places where you are most likely to forget God. Sometimes we look at our life and we're like, man, God could really use my talent. I'm, I'm guilty of this as pastor uh, in, in this way. Uh, uh, you know, someone comes to the church and they want to serve. and like, man, they really have some good strengths. And so that's what I look at. Strength, strength, strength. Oh, God could use their strengths. And by the way, God does use your strength. You realize that, right? He created you after all. He knows who you are. He knows, he, he knows and he created you for his glory. But the problem is, is that we focus so much on our strengths and then we put our confidence in our strengths And when we're putting our confidence in our strengths, we're forgetting about God. Because now it becomes about us. We put confidence in our own uh, abilities or or whatever it may be. But the fact is, is that our weaknesses open the door to the biggest evidence of God's power possible. So I got to wonder, hey, where are you weak right now? Where are you weak right now? Think about it for a minute. I'll have you raise your hand in a moment and share it with us. I'm kidding. (laughs) Where are you weak right now? Think about it. Are you financially weak right now? Financially weak? Are you, uh, maybe for some of you right now, to you, a weakness that you you, you feel right now is is the fact that you're single? You'd like to be married, but for you, you feel that is maybe a a weakness right now? I, I understand that. Maybe there was an opportunity that's been removed from you right now, and you see that as a weakness. Uh, maybe for some of you, there's a, a, a health trial that you're going through right now, and you're like, this is, this, is a huge, this is a huge weakness in my life right now. And maybe it's been with you for, for years and years. Maybe it's a skill that you lack. Maybe it's a sin that you're going through. If you're like me, I wrote down my biggest weakness, parenting. <laughs> I'll just be honest with you. I know they're here today, but they're not paying attention. That's good. <laughs> That's an area that I feel very weak in right now. Just to be honest with you, I feel very weak in that. And it's a struggle. But the point I'm trying to get across is that while we wish all of our weaknesses would go away, right? For the follower of Christ, there's always going to be a brook Cherith for you. 
There's always going to be that. There will always be a situation. There will always be a disappointment. And rather than fear them and try to avoid them, we've got to recognize that it's in our weaknesses that God can do his greatest work in us. Because God's miracles and his glories are never found in our strength, but they're always found in our weaknesses. Always. You see that throughout scripture where God will take someone and bring them to a place of complete and total dependence. And then God says, okay, now I can use you. Now I can use you. Think about the apostle Paul. He had to take away his sight to bring him to that place. So many different illustrations and stories. And we have to remember that it's about the weaknesses that God then can be used in a greatest way. I heard a, a great story about a pastor. His name is Adrian Rogers. And uh, he's a famous preacher of years gone by. And the story is told he was preaching to a large crowd, I guess many thousands of people. And he was trying to get across this point to the church. And so he asked everyone in the congregation, he said, if you were the valedictorian of your high school or university, would you stand up? I think like one person stood up, <laughs> maybe more than that. I mean, it's thousands of people, some more than that. And then he said, all of you who were the captain of your sports team, of your football team or basketball team, if you were the captain of your sports team, I want you to stand up. And he said, if you were, uh, if you're the leader, uh, or if you're the head manager in your company, and he went through all of these things, if you, and he even got, he got very specific, which I thought was kind of crazy, but I think he said, like, if you make over $100,000 a year, stand up. That'd be awkward, right? <laughs> and, uh, and so he, he, he went through all of these things, and after he was done asking all of these questions, and by the way, he, uh, the, the story goes that the people who were still seated were looking around like, whoa, <laughs> that's what they were doing. So after he did this, there was about maybe 10, 15% of the, of the group of thousands of people were standing. I mean, these were people that he had kind of asked and admitted were, I guess, elite, if you want to call them that, in our world. Here's what he said to them. The pastor said to them, he said, I have good news and I have bad news for you. Here's what he said. He said, the good news is, is that God can use you too. And everyone did what, just what you did. They all kind of laughed. But this is what he said after that. He said, God can use you too. He said, but you're not his first choice to be used. You're not, you're not his first choice to be used. Man, wh what a flip <laughs> to our mindset. All these people were standing there and they're like, oh yeah, that's right, I was valedictorian. That's right, I'm probably smarter than you. Oh yeah, I do have, you know, I make more money. I'm a, I'm a manager or whatever. I own my own company or whatever it may be. And to the people in the crowd, they were looking at him like, wow, this is great, man. God can do, and this is how we think. That God's only going to use those who have things. God's only going to use those who are super talented or whatever it may be. But the point is, is that those people are not actually God's first choice. Do you know why? Because the tendency is, is to be, find our strength in our strengths. <laughs> and not to really learn to depend completely on God. On God, because that's what God desires from us. Complete and total dependence. The people that are used greatly by God are those who learn dependence through their weaknesses. Can someone with talent, can someone with money, can somebody, you know, learn to depend on God completely? Of course, <laughs> of course, if they learn to glory in their weaknesses and not trust in their strengths. This is what God is trying to show Elijah. Now, you know about Elijah. I said, who knows Elijah? Everybody put their hands up. And we think of Elijah, we think of the wonderful things that he did, right? We think of Mount Carmel calling down fire from God and, you know, destroying the temple and then <laughs> killing all of those priests, you know? Uh, I, mean, the, I mean, incredible thing that God did through him, and we think of all this, but the point is this. There is no Mount Carmel if there isn't a Brook Cherith. There's no uh, chapter 18 if there isn't a chapter 17. There's no chapter 19, 20, 21, all the things that God did with him. 
if it wasn't for this moment where Elijah learned complete and total dependence upon God. Before there was rain, before there was all of these things, there was a brook Cherith. But God's not done with him. Look at verse number seven. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up. (laughs) I know some of you were thinking, because I've been thinking it, well, at least he had the brook, right? I mean, that was there. You know, God didn't have to bring in a brook by raven, you know? I mean, he had the brook. Now the brook dried up. I mean, there was a famine, obviously. There was a famine coming because there had been no rain in the land. It just went from bad to worse, right? The brook dried up. The Uber Eats ravens stopped coming. I thought that was pretty clever. All right. Look at verse 8. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Now, this is a story we're going to look at further at another time. I'll just give you a kind of a brief overview. So God says, I want you to go over here to Zarephath. There's going to be a widow woman there. Uh, Elijah goes to that city. He meets this widow woman. She's outside. She's gathering sticks. The reason she's gathering sticks is to make a fire. The reason she's making a fire is because she has enough oil and enough flour to make one more cake. Remember, there's a famine in the land. There's a drought and a famine. She says, I'm going to make one more cake here. My son and I are going to eat it, and we're going to die. And that's what she says to to Elijah when he comes to her. Well, Elijah, um, and I don't know how he did this or how he found the guts to do this, but he said to her, feed me first. What a jerk, right? And then you read that, that's the first thing you think. This, this is a widow woman. Now, and a widow woman in those days, I mean, that's a very difficult situation. A widow woman with a child, no one was going to marry her, pretty much. That would be a very rare thing. She couldn't just go out and get a job uh, like, uh, like other, because in those days, most of the jobs were reserved for men. Men did most of the work. And so, I mean, she was in a difficult situation. There's a famine, there's a drought, all of these things. And then Elijah says, no, 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 give me that cake. Feed me first. I promise good things will happen. And she believed him. I could, I mean, imagine that after all these years, now he did say God will provide for you and all of that, and, 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 but she did, she believed him, so that's what she did. She made this cake, and uh, she, uh, she uh, fed him first, and when she did that, she went back, and the flour was replenished, and the oil was replenished, and in fact, the story goes on to tell us that for the rest of the drought, she had all that she needed to feed her and her son. Pretty incredible story. Now, here's why I share this with you just real quickly. Here's what I want us to see. God first took Elijah away from his ability to care for himself, and God provided for him. But then God took even that away from him and put him in a position where the only way that he could explain the provision of God was to say that it's an actual miracle of God. Do you see that there? He took him from a place where there was water, there was abundant, God was, and sure, he said, hey, the Lord, you know, caused those ravens to go and find that meat and whatever and bring it to me. But now he's in a place, in a hopeless situation with a, a to a person who seemed like, I mean, she's at her very last. And only because God did a miracle was he then able to survive. The thing that I want you to see here is that the greater Elijah's need, the greater God's glory when he provided for him. And that's the thought for us this morning is that the greater the need, the greater God's glory in these situations. Man, that woman would have told people for, for years about what took place. 
And the only way they could explain it, the only way that flour could replenish itself and oil can somehow return uh, to a dish is only because of a miracle from God. It may happen once. I don't know. Maybe it was soaked into the clay, you know, (laughs) but twice and three days and four days and months and months and months of God's provision. It's a miracle of God, a complete and total miracle. And that's the thing, the greater the need, then the greater God's glory. Right now, you might be facing some challenges. You might have and be uh, going through some aspects of your life that were not what you expected them to be. But I want you to understand this morning that God is working in that situation you're in right now. He is trying to uh, train you to trust him. He's training you to depend on him. I could not preach this message without thinking about Karate Kid. Now, here's why, okay? (laughs) Sometimes there's weird mental processes, right? So you remember the story of karate, the original, not the, not the fake one that was a couple years ago. I mean, the, the real one. Okay. <laughs> but you remember the part of the movie, and most of you do, where Mr. Miyagi was having uh, Daniel, Danny, whatever you want to call him, LaRusso there, uh, do chores. Remember that? Daniel-san, paint the fence, right? You know? <laughs> Daniel-san. Sand the floor, right? Sand the floor. Wax the car. And then, of course, the famous line, wax on, wax off, right? And he's making him do all these things. Well, there's a scene in the movie where uh, Daniel just gets up. I mean, he's, do- he's like, I'm done with this. And he's like yelling at, you know, Mr. Miyagi. He's like, you're just making me your sl- slave. I'm doing all this work for you, you know? And then, and then he says, I watched it uh, on YouTube. So he says, <laughs> I want to make sure. He, and he says, uh, he says, Daniel, come here. He's wa- I mean, he's leaving, right? And he comes over here, you know, and he's standing in front of him, and he says, Sand the floor. <laughs> you, know, you know, show me, you know, and, and he's, you know, he's doing this, you know, and then, of course, he, you know, he throws a punch and, oh, he blocks the punch, you know, and then, he, you know, and then it all kind of clicks in for, uh, if you haven't seen it, go and watch it and all that kind of <laughs> stuff, you know. <laughs> Here's the thing. Mr. Miyagi was trying to teach him, and I know it's a stretch connecting this to scripture, okay, but it works because it'll help you understand, all right, and it helps me understand. He was teaching him that it was the, in the mundane, in the things that were difficult, in the trials, in the hard things. He felt he was being abused, right? He felt that he's taking advantage of him, painting the fence and waxing the car. and He thought he was being abused, but it was in those mundane things, in those difficult things, he was teaching him the skills necessary to fight. I mean, without that, there would be no mantis kick, right? Without, mantis, uh, w- without wax on, wax off. There's no kick. There's no win. There's no nothing without that. I think, do you understand what I'm saying? You're not offended? Okay, great. All right, good. You understand? (laughs) Here's the thing. God took Elijah to that brook, and then he took him to the widow's house so that he could produce in him the faith that was necessary to fight that battle on the top of Mount Carmel. That's what he's doing. So that he could get the greatest glory because of what God was teaching him. When God wants to change the world, when God wants to point sinners to himself, when he wants to do unique things, he's not looking for superhuman, talented people. He's looking for ordinary people with unconditional surrender and unwavering confidence in him. And the thing that you're in right now, God is trying to teach you. He's trying to train you. He's trying to show you something. And the thing he's trying to show you is, first of all, dependence on him as well. He's trying to get the greatest glory in your life if you would allow him to. And rather than seeing our weaknesses as our weaknesses, rather than seeing our trials and our difficulty, allow God, let God, give God permission to use it in your life 
to bring dependence on him so that he could do his greatest work. When we do this, an amazing transition takes place. I just want to show you a couple verses real quick. Look at verse number one. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab. Now look over at verse number 24, the last part. And the woman said to Elijah, now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. In verse number one, Elijah is defined by where he came from. In verse number 24, he's defined by who he belongs to and who he represents. And I got to tell you this, that is the transition that will take place in your life when you learn to depend on God. When you learn to give him all of your dependence, you will transition from a person who is defined by their strength, who is defined by their resume, who is defined by their earning potential, who is defined by their job or whatever it may be, and you will move from a person defined by those earthly things, and you'll then be defined by a person who is God's, (laughs) who represents Jesus Christ, who God uses in an incredible way, and it is an amazing transition that can take place is your confidence in God. Verse number 17 of James chapter number five. I want to show you this as we close this morning. Elias, it's a New Testament rendering of his name, Elijah. So Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not in the earth by the space of three years and six months. Now we know how long it was. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. Here's why I wanted to share this verse with you. Because often we look at the Old Testament prophets and we say, yeah, well, that was a prophet. That was, you know, that, that, that's nothing at all. Like, like, that's nothing like me. Look what it says there. He was a man subject to like passions as we are. He was a man like us. He's just a regular person. He had the same passions. He had the same faults. He had the same issues. He had the same weaknesses. But yet when he learned to depend on God completely, when he had that Brook Cherith moment, God then was able to do something with him that no one else has ever done. And I got to tell you honestly, and this is not just like preacher talk, okay? If you would truly learn to depend on God like Elijah, when you find yourself in those weak places, when you learn to glory in your infirmities so that God would be glorified in your life, I promise you God will use you to do things that you never thought possible as well. God will use you in the lives of other people You will reach people with the gospel. He may use you for something that no one ever knows about for eternity (laughs) until we get to heaven. But I'm telling you, if you depend on him, God then can use you and he will use you in an amazing way. The path to greatness with God always goes through the valley of brokenness and pain. Now listen, I understand some of you are in great moments of weakness right now. And, and please don't misunderstand me as we sit, when I say the word weakness that it's a, it's a devalue in your life. You understand that, right? It's not, I'm not devaluing anything, but we all go through trials and difficulties. We go through things that become weaknesses to us. They, you ever been through a time of just bitterness and it held you back from other things? Of course. We've all been through things like that and it, and it holds us back from the Lord. And it holds us back from really being used of him. But if you're in a weak moment right now, if you're facing some trials, if you're uncertain about what lies ahead, can I encourage you this morning, as hard as it sounds, would you rejoice in that? Would you rejoice in that just a little bit? 
I know rejoice is a strong word. How about this? Would you take comfort in that? Take comfort in your trials. Take comfort in the weakness. Take comfort in the fact that you don't understand what's going on. Because I promise you, if you take comfort in that fact and you learn to trust God in those weaknesses, 2019 is going to be a year of incredible strength for you because you're trusting in him to work in ways that you could never do on your own. But if you're trusting in your strength, right now, if you're trusting in your, your, uh, your bank account, if you're trusting in your savings account, if you're trusting in anything else, if you're trusting in a person, anyone else that you're trusting in, if you're trusting in your career or whatever it may be, your ability to make money, by the way, it often runs back to the financial side of things, our trust. But if you're trusting in anything else, you're going to miss out on God using you in a special way. And that's my challenge for us for 2019 as we look forward as a church. You know, I want to be used of God, and I, I know that you want to be used as well. Would we learn from those Brook Cherith moments this year of 2019? That's one thing God taught me in 2018. Those difficult times, those unexpected things that I was not planning to go through in 2018, God taught me reliance on Him, dependence on Him, and in our dependence on Him, in our moments of weakness, we find God's greatest strength. And then we're able for God to use us in a unique way. We hope today's message was a help to your relationship with God. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will continue to do a unique work as you pursue His will for your life.